Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is X Job Downloaded. And today we are going to interview Kevin Rowe. Now, Kevin is a former Essex police officer and he now lives in sunny Spain. How are you today, Kev? I'm good, thanks, Paul. And uh, just wanted to say, I know we've been chatting, but just want to say thank you for inviting me. And um, hopefully what I have to say and what we're going to talk about is of interest to anybody that's listening. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Where did it start for Kevin Rowe? I've known you for a long time. Yeah. Um, but where did it all start for Kevin? I was born in Oddstock Hospital in Salisbury. That's uh-huh. where I was born. To uh, My parents were uh, Jeff and, and Christine, and my dad was in the Air Force. Right. And um, so I'm, a, I'm an Air Force brat, really. I yeah. mean, I've been to so many schools, so many places, uh, I've, I lost count. So, uh, yeah. Well, I think that's a good thing if you know for the job that we eventually did. So, did you go through army education as well, or sorry, military education? Yeah, I went. Um, yeah, I was say we uh, fifty six, and I was sort of like four or five when we went to Cyprus. So my mum would tell me a story that um, even at that very young age, I would be outside with the you know the Cypriot kids talking Cypriot. You know, wow. I mean, crikey, never remember anything like that now. No. But um, yeah, she said you interacted with the locals, and and um, so yeah. And my brother was born out there; he's five years younger than me. And um, so uh, yeah, so we, we lived there. And I came back uh, just about to see steam trains go. So um, you know, so yeah, fifties through the sixties, um, we had sixty-five to sixty-eight were in Malta. Wow! So I saw the World Cup final of England and West Germany on a black and white television with the sound turned down because it was in Italian, <laughs> listening to British forces British forces broadcast on the English radio transmission. So I had the radio on, list, uh, watching the Italian TV in black and white, watching a, the World Cup final. As a 10-year-old? Yeah. You just celebrated yeah. your 10th birthday? Yeah, so it was July, yeah, so it would have been, yeah, yeah, coming up to 10 years old, yeah. July 30th. And, um... Yeah, so it's, it's amazing. I said, you know, when you, as you get older, memory remembers things like that, you know, sort of the, the moon landings and all sorts of crazy things like that. So, but yeah, no, I, I, did, I, I went to lots of schools, and you write what you said. Um, you learn to, to differentiate between the good people and the bad people, and you learn how to talk and talk your way out of things and get involved yeah. and make friends quickly because there were times I'd probably been at a school for. I don't know, maybe not even a month, and then we'd be gone somewhere else, or and I'd be there for a term, and I'd be gone somewhere else. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, it was looking back, it was what I, it's what made me. But um, when I had my children, I was determined not to let them go through that, you know. So I didn't really want to do the REF or the military. So the police service was a bit of a 
Well, that wasn't anticipated. That, I just didn't know that what I wanted to do. I think you'll find that I think we're all of a, when we were leaving school, what were we going to do? What, 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 you know, so I, probably like yourself, um, I went to all the careers places at the school and, uh, well, what are you going to do? Well, you know, I've got this, I've got, you know, grade four maths O level or whatever it is, you know, and so, well, you can only do so and so. Well, I'll go work in the bank or I'll go and work this. And it was Keith Treasure from the cadet school who came to my school at uh, Saffron Walden. And I was the only one that went and talked to him. And he told me about the cadet service. And um, and I thought uh, what really intrigued me was, you know, playing football and getting paid and stuff like that as a 16-year-old. And um, anyway, cut long story short, I got in, had three great years. I met some amazing people, to name few, like Kevin Old and, you know, and bless him up. And a few, I mean, I'm, they're friends for life, you know. Yeah. I've got people from the cadet service who um, still meet them now and still have great memories of them. So, uh, uh, yeah. You joined the cadets in 72? 72, yeah. And because the cadet school was relatively new then, it had been opened by Princess Anne. 69, it was opened by Princess Anne, yeah. yeah. How did you end up in Saffron Walden? Because there's no... Was your dad still in the RAF when you... Yeah. My dad was stationed at, um, which is now Carver Barracks, which is um, it's RAF Debden. Oh, I didn't know that. And um, so he um, was in charge of the dog school. My dad was uh, in charge of uh, RAF police dogs for the general police duties, drugs and explosive work and all that sort of stuff. And there's another story to that. My dad, back in the 50s, along with two other RAF guys, um, wrote the manual for modern day policing. And my dad was awarded the, um, the MBE by the Queen uh, for his services to the RAF and for the services of dog training and stuff like that. So I ended up there and then and I left home at 14 and stayed on a farm in uh, Saffron in a place called Wimbish. Yeah. And uh, and I, I was invited by um, a lady and her husband who owned this farm. And at any one time, they'd have two or three German shepherds in the house, in the farmhouse, and they'd have, you know, a kennel block full of German shepherds. So... Um, my love for dogs, my love for that was it was imprinted on me as a child because I have a photograph of me as a baby, less than a year old, sitting on a blanket with my dad's first RAF police dog called Dean um, just sitting by me. And uh, stories I got told where even um, my mum, would, Dean would, if my mum came to it, he'd be going, he'd growl at her, you know, because yeah. that was protective. And so I've got this thing about dogs that I've had all my life. And so... Um, yeah, so my dad was 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 a, an integral part of me loving the uh, animal. And so when I went on the dog section, my dad was at the. Uh, uh, I, was, I had a you know I passed out with my police dog, and um, he was in the audience. Right. And so when I looked across, and I thought then I thought, do you know what? If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. No. We wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Yeah, because that was quite that was quite a special moment for me. Yeah, because I remember. You, so you were on dog section from eighty seven to ninety one. Yeah, I remember you being on dog section. It's funny because my my dad was a dog handler in Cyprus. He was a police. He was what? a military police dog handler in Cyprus. Yeah, well, my dad was in charge of the dog section in Cyprus back ah. in the fifties. Yeah, see so those dogs. The dogs in the military are totally totally different because my our, the police dogs have to be a certain type of dog. Yes, they have to do 
um, street work and look, you know, on a Friday, Saturday night. But they also have to search for, you know, yeah. missing people. So they don't want to go in there and rip the missing person to pieces. 1975, you joined the regulars and yeah. posted to Harlow at that point? Yeah, I went to, um, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I was talking to Charlie Clark the other day and um, I said to him, I had my first eight years at Harlow and uh, that was incorporating a bit of traffic as well. I went on to traffic at Harlow um, and I was also stationed at Stansted Village as well for a time. Oh, wow. But uh, my first eight years in Harlow Division were the best. You know, I thoroughly loved it. I mean, it was as a as a as a, a nineteen year old getting getting you know involved in you know the youth of Harlow in those days was fantastic. Ah, oh, I mean, great. I mean, you, the skills you learnt, you know, not just not just for talking, but for you know for all sorts of skills mm. you learnt. You learn how to fight because if you if you if you didn't get involved. You know, that was the end. And we had, you know, I'm sure you know, we had um, senior officers. And there was one um, senior officer that um, when you when you did your records of work, if you didn't, if you weren't, if you didn't find it yourself, if for another example, you were sent, my first job, as when I finished with Dave Brew, uh, he was my... my son. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah Dave, when I, uh, yeah. When I had Dave Brew, and when I, when he, I think he went off on holiday or something, and then so... The skipper said, right, you're okay, go on. So my first job was a criminal damage at the public library in Harlow Town. It's amazing what you remember, isn't it? Yeah. So I had to go and so I filled in the, the crime complaint and I took a quick statement and the value of it, blah, 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 all that. But at the end of the month, if that, that didn't count, you know, Beechner would come in and, and, and put a red line through it. And so, so you had to get, literally go and find work. Yeah. So take out a haughty pad on a, on a, on a night shift Stop everything, and then get breathalyzed, and then take the prisoner in for drink drive or anything like that. Yeah, that's that was your bread and butter. That that's what you had to do. Proper practice. And um, I had a classic. <laughs> talk about I'd say it reminds it just these things. Jump it. The classic one I remember as a probationer in Harlem because once I've finished my probation, he went, oh, that's it. I can relax a little bit now. And you got your, you know, you got your card stamped, and you're you're okay to go. But I remember going up to Fourth Avenue, just outside of the main centre, and there was a Sainsbury's lorry, and the, and the engine was running, right? So, and the driver wasn't present. Quitting? So you have quit, quitting. <laughs> You're with me, Paul. You're yeah. With me. So quitting a motor vehicle, right? So the, I'm standing there, and, uh, oh, it makes me laugh. And the driver comes up to me, and he said, oh, officer, officer, I'm so pleased. I'm, I'm so, can you help me? I said, uh, Yes, I can. I said, is this your lorry? He went, <laughs> yes. Did you leave it run, the engine running? Uh, yes. I gave him a fixed penalty, t- penalty, fixed penalty ticket for quitting, and then I gave him directions to Sainsbury's, <laughs> but, as you do. Yeah, but you know what? If, if people did that, would we have all the aggravation that we've got now? No. You know, I, I, you know, I, I think that we've, we've become very, very soft in our style of policing. And, I, yeah. you know, community policing cuts in a number of different ways. Living in police houses was one of them. Um, yeah. And dealing with the local issues on that. But actually, sometimes parking on zigzags and doing things like that ha- had to be dealt with. But I bet you if I did a Freedom of Information request, there will be very few of those that are done by yeah. anyone other than the traffic guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, you're absolutely right. I think I, I, I appreciate 
appreciate what the youngsters are doing today. Yes. They must, it must be very tough for them. Yes. And I, yes. You know, I know that this is being recorded. And I would just like to say, I think, you know, it must be very tough and the, all the pressures they're under. Um, and we had pressure, but of course we didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have, you know, video cameras and all that sort of stuff. We didn't have, but at least what we did have, we, you know, we had, we had common sense. We had, we had backing. We, we could do the job. Yeah. And the job needed to be done. And I, and I think you're right. I think you'll agree with me. When we changed from a police force to a police service, that's where it went wrong. Yeah. Because the cert, we're not a service. We don't serve customers. They're no. not customers. No. They're not. Well, you know, we don't. We don't give them. You know, discount on stuff. We, you know, if they've done something wrong, they get nicked. Yeah. And and we put the the force in in enforcement. And yeah. I do, like you say, I do feel for them. They've got a different type of crime. I mean, if you yeah. if if someone had said to you in 1975, we're going to have computers, that's the first yeah. thing, all going to have computers, yeah. that we're going to have online online child exploitation, um, all the other stuff that comes with that through the sexual offenders and the paedophiles and what have you, you'd have said, you're raving mad, this is never going to happen. Yeah. What's happened is that the the police styling has evolved – but it has, it doesn't reflect the community in which it serves. So, and it hasn't increased. If you look, Essex has now increased to 1.9 million people, but the actual number of police officers that are involved in that service yeah, or enforcement yeah. hasn't grown in real terms. No. There's lots more back office and there's more teams in the premiership, but there's it hasn't actually grown. And I believe that, you know, I believe in equality. I think everybody should be treated fairly and, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's the sacrificial lamb that is is being lost because things are being sacrificed in the name of equality. Yeah. No, you're right, and I, I think you're right. I, I always say to people, and they, they they always look at me. I think in yeah the the advent of computers. That's because, and I remember the the response codes when they came in. You know, when we go, it's a grade one or a grade two. Yeah. That was an admin tool. By the Metropolitan Police, that wasn't that wasn't meant to be anything more. It was a supervisory admin tool, and it went wild. And yeah. Because I had a conversation. I was I had some time in the force information, and um, there was a call to Billericay one night. I was on the Basildon desk to a ten nine went up. Right, an officer being assaulted, urgent assistance required, and I had a not young officer from Basildon on a on a, on a and he asked me for permission to put the blue lights and the two-tones on. And I went, this is a 10-9. You get there as fast as you can, as safely as you can, but you get there. I don't care how you do it, you get there. Because he, he's covering his back because at the end of the day, the driving school will probably have him for something. Or other, yeah. I said, you do what you do. I mean, we've all, you know, we've all had you know, times when we've had to go quick in a police car. There's yeah, always sure. times where you're thinking, oh, that was a close call. Or yeah. Whatever. I've had many occasions like that, and I'm sure you know when people oh. are listening to that, they'll go, "Yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had occasions where I've crashed the police car because I'm going to an urgent assistance somewhere because one of our colleagues is is in need of our help, and sadly sometimes you don't get there, but other people will get there, mm. but for circumstances, but nine times out of ten you'll get there, and you'll help out, but to say, "Oh, can I do this?" Then I'm going. Make a decision. 
and, do and, something. But I, but I also get it because we've become a, a society of apologists. We keep saying sorry yeah. to everything to everyone. And yeah. the hindsight police, if, if you now have an accident as a police officer, there'll be somebody picking apart the data that is within the vehicle. People listening to this will not understand that those cars have an inbuilt computer. And if it's yeah. involved in a collision or a high-speed chase or anything like that, that is forensically tested. That is checked out to make sure that the officer hasn't crossed the boundaries. Now, yeah. they're focusing in the wrong areas. Of course they are. It's a, it's a human thing. You, you're driving, you're, 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 your mindset is, I need to get somewhere and I need to get there pretty quick. General public, whatever they drive, it's fine. But you are, you're equipped, you're trained to advanced level. Yeah. You've got a vehicle that's, that's capable of doing those speeds and you are taking your, your ability to that extreme level. Yeah. Yes, there's factors that come into play, but... You know that's that's the, that was the nature of the job. Yeah, absolutely. The job was what had to happen. You you can't you cannot just go. Well, I'll get there when I get there. No, because the recipient of the the recipient of the the support doesn't care how you got there. They no, just no. they just want to see you crashing through the front door to stop that perpetrator from throttling them. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's the it's the do gooders who stand there with their mobile phones, and that's the other thing yeah. that we didn't have when we were no. when we were young probationers. We didn't have somebody standing there taking a video of the fight. You'd, you'd normally have somebody that would step in and help you if you were in, in dire need. But now they just yeah. stand there and take the Mickey and take video of the poor coppers that are getting a good hiding. It is it. That, and, and it the, is against. The thing is, Paul, they don't. There is not the backup. No, from you know, se- senior management, no, no. don't support them either. No, no. So even even bodies on the ground, oh. you know, used to if you if you took, put a shout out, you'd find out you get ten or twenty coppers that'll turn up, and there'll be people coming from other areas. I I went to, I went to ten nine from Harlow, uh, from Braintree to Harlow. Yeah, and it was still yeah, going yeah. when we got to the playhouse or you know the square there. Yeah, yeah. it was still going. Still going on, yeah. But now. <laughs> Because because they work off different channels, and and you're actually, I mean, you would be mortified if you saw the levels of staff that police Harlow, for instance. Yeah, you'd be absolutely, you you couldn't believe it. There was we had, I'm sure when you joined, um, they had, I think in in the the ten weeks or the period that thirty of us went to Harlow, and I think thirty of us went to Basildon. So the two two wow. main hotspots. So thirty of us went to Harlow. And thirty, but yeah, to Basildon. So, you know, I mean, yeah, the parade room was crowded. You know, yeah. we had, you know, so, and we had pandas out. We had. I always loved the days when we had the minis and that because the minis at Harlow were brilliant. You oh, know, we get, could go anywhere, anywhere. Yeah, literally anywhere. Yeah, yeah, literally anywhere. You know, uh, I, I recall stories of you know when we had minis and and um, yeah, I mean it was it was a different era, but the job was still the job. And you still, there were, you know, officers still got injured, still, you know, there were still fights, there was still this. But at least in those days, you know, you got, you did get backup. You got, mm. you know, they appreciate the job that you were doing. Um, and, you know, there were, Essex was Essex, you know, I've worked most of Essex. And it's a, it's a yes, people go, oh, it's a metropolitan police. Well, no, I'll tell you what, I had a great, time my 32 years in Essex was was um yeah I'll never I'll never regret, regret doing it no. I mean it, it wasn't something I planned but it's something I look back on with 
and I got through. You know, I've had scrapes. I've been shot at. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been in fights. I've been, you know, I've been to murder scenes. I've been to, uh, I've been, to, I've seen a lot of death. Yeah. You know? And, um, but uh, yeah, I, I was, I was ready to go. You know, when I did my time, I was ready to go. Well, do you have any regrets whilst you're in the police? Do you wish you'd have done something that you didn't do, or? Um, I think I think there's certain things I, I think I would have liked to have stayed on the dog section a bit longer. But then in those days, I was uh, um, I had uh, uh, marital issues, uh, and so there was a lot of stress, and I needed to get off the dog section. It wasn't the dog section's fault, pardon me, but I just needed a change. So uh, um, I went to Basildon, and, and um, uh, I went yeah I went to uh, Lane the Traffic, and uh, um, but no, I, I just there's certain things. I mean, I I was very lucky in my service. Um, there was, I was telling, I was telling them, I saw Charlie Clark and Bob Good the other day and Charlie Clark was my chief inspector. Was he, yeah, he was chief inspector on the FSU. And uh, I was up at the, if you remember the days when mortgage rates were very high mm. and I was living, I was living in Harlow. I think it was right. Yeah, no, I was living in Chelmsford. I bought a house. But I was stationed at Harlow, so I wanted to get to Chelmsford. And the only place I could go was the information, the old information. Yeah. So I took it. I thought, well, that's going to say. I looked at the figures, and I thought, that's going to save me loads of money. I could walk into work. So I bit the bullet, went there. And then I did um, I did a couple of years. But in the meantime, I was looking for a way out. And I had friends on the FSU, and I had friends on the dog section. And so um, the word was that there was looking for applicants for the FSU. And uh, and then I think that I, I was considering that, and I went um, went to my governor then, the superintendent at the time, and uh, I said I'm going to put him for the FSU. He said, and then suddenly about a week later, uh, applications for the dog section came out. Well, that was my pet. That's what I wanted to do. So I went and saw him again, and um, so I said to him, I said to him, look, this is what I want to do. So he said, okay, we'll put him for both. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. So, and then the top brother, the chief superintendent, called me in in front of him and said, what does this officer really want? So he was brilliant. He said to me, this officer really wants this, but he needs to do this. So there was a long discussion, and I'm sat there going, there's these two powerhouses talking to each other. And I'm thinking, right, so eventually the word was, okay, put him for both, see how you get on. Well, I, cut up, I went for an interview for the FSU, and I had Charlie Clark and I had Ivan Montgomery and uh, on Monty. So the first question, and I've said this to Charlie many times, the first question I was asked was, how long can you give us? There was nothing, there was, you know, that was how long. So I said, well, a couple of years, fine. Any questions, Monty? What you'd like with firearms? I said, well, you train me, I'll see how I go. So that was my interview. Thank you very much. Gone. So I had, <laughs> then I had an interview with the dog section. So on my dog section panel, I had Bob Williamson, I had Paul Probin, and I had Ian Learmonth. Well, Ian Learmonth, I've known since we were kids. So uh, Ian said, I'd like to just declare that I know this guy and it's personal, so I'll step away. So I had an hour grilling from Bob Williamson and Paul Probin, and they then offered me Harlow, which wasn't right. So I said, I'll wait for Sandon. And so I then went on the FSU, I posted, and got me, I went on the FSU, to two years to the day, I then got told that my dog, which was was being rehandled, I got told that my dog Shadow was up in the kennels at Sandon 
I got a phone call from Don Goldsmith to say, you're on the section. I saw no paperwork for the FSU or for the dog section. I walked into Bob Good and said, I'm on the dog section as from Monday. He said, okay, thank you very much. And that was it. I was gone. I, 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 I had two yeses for Incredible. both. And I saw no paperwork. And I was just, I went from one thing to another. And I think that's got to do with, it's not, I think they, over a period of years, people get to know you and they go, yeah, I think he'd be the right sort. Yeah. It did take me a year, took me a year to get um, settled into the FSU. I don't know if you ever – did you ever go up to the FSU office? No, well, I went to the office. I, I, I mean, it, they, they were a different sort of characters, weren't they? Different breed. When you when you meet – I mean, I'm Freddie – when you get the likes of Mick Hall and all that and, you, and, and, and you've got these guys at the top of the stairs and they're larger-than-life characters. What year was that? Guys, that would have been um, – that would have been 85 to 87. Then I was 87. So, yeah, 85. Um, but, yeah, I had, we, we had, um, I had a great two years. The first, first year was tough. And then I suddenly got, I, I think it was Charlie said to me, or somebody said to me, you know, you're better than this. Just sort yourself out. And then I tell you, the, the, the whole thing clicked. A lot of it's about I, acceptance up there, though. That was, yeah, that yeah. was, that was being yeah. accepted by the, the, the clique, dare I say. Yeah. I mean, I used to walk in there and they were, it was almost like they were polishing their weapons before they went out <laughs> on a, you know, sitting there lovingly, yeah. lovingly stroking their 12 bore shotguns. But um, yeah. yeah, it was a. No, it was, it's, it, it, you needed to have, you needed to have, you need to, your character needed to come out. Yeah, you, you, you needed yeah. to stand, stand, and make your own character, make your make yourself, you know, a part of that. Because yeah. if you didn't, you'd get swallowed up and yeah, and spit out the other end. You couldn't be a shrinking violet. So you, you, no, you couldn't. You'd have been with muff coats and spud and all that lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, I would say now that Stevie Cass was the best TFC ever. Stevie Cass was the best tactical firearms commander, even though he was a, he was a sergeant, but he would he could control everything i mean he, he'd be on an, an incident and you'd get the chief constable come along or, or somebody of really high high in that and steve would be in control and the, he was masterful like what yeah. he did you know absolute master and um but yeah those yeah i've been on many you know I, eventually it was funny because when i because i had my firearms permit not for very long because i just eventually i, I, I decided I, I, it wasn't what i really wanted to do and then when i won the dog section then I was literally up there with the R1 and R2. I was up the front. Yeah. And I was, I was, because like, oh, you're the dog handler. Oh, well, yeah, I was recently with you guys, but now I'm on this end of it. So go forward, go forward, go forward. Put and your I'll dog be right in first. to the sharp end. Yeah. People don't realize that, do they? No. They, they don't realize no, no, there's no. a dog. Um... No. I, I, it was, it's, yeah, because it's, it's not playtime, it's real life. Yeah. And you're dealing with, dealing with villains who, who are, you know, who, um, yeah, but the, the characters were there. The characters, oh. the, the, if it wasn't for the, you know, these guys, you know, these villains would just get away because, uh, but yeah, no, it was a great time. Great time. I learned a lot, a lot about myself. Um, yeah, a lot about life, really. Yeah. When you came to the, the, the conclusion of your service, where did you, where did you finish up? I finished up, um, at Braintree because I'll tell you what happened. I, I was, um, I injured my back uh, while I was on Chelmsford traffic and um, I tweaked it and it was a, a lower injury. It was a, one of the discs had gone and uh, it was an old injury, which I had many years ago, but it came back. 
And I realized I couldn't do my job because it got to the point where I had a, uh, I was driving down towards um, Margaretting one day and I, I felt, I thought I'd gone across you know, like some stuff, you know, some um, water, you know, so, you know, aquaplane, but it was the rear tire of the car had gone. It was a big Granada tire. And I couldn't get the tire off. I couldn't get the tire out. So I called up the garage and they came down. They, they changed the tire for me. And I went to the, um, went to my physio and he said, oh, your, disc, your back's gone and blah, blah, blah. So I went and saw the chief inspector who I saw, I can't remember I saw now, I went and saw him and they said, well, really you need to come off duties. So they said, we'll put you into the information room for a period of time. So I went back in there and, um, but you know what it's like, memories are, you know, it's short. So, and I tried so many times. I actually, I was approached, um, I suppose, headhunted. I was, come, you know, I came in, the chief inspector for traffic at that time, came in and said, we'd like you back on traffic. I've been in there about, nine, ten months, I suppose. Things were getting better. My injury was less now, and I was able to move around and do all sorts of stuff. But they wouldn't let me go. They wouldn't let me go. It was, uh, uh, and so I, I got really annoyed. And eventually, um, I got um, with, I think it was um, Mick Smith over at Braintree. Remember Mick Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I was chatting to him, and he said... Uh, he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to get out. I said, well, it's not like you're going back to traffic. Do you fancy coming to Braintree? I said, well, do you know what I'd like to do? And because we got we got, we got to know each other. He said, would you like, I said, I'd like to go to Dunmo. Because Dunmo to me was, takes me back. It's like those smells that you've got, you know, the yeah. Dunmo police station. I remember going back there when I was 19 and going out with um, one, of the, one of the officers over there who always drove around Dunmo in fourth gear. I mean, and they also used to sell fruit and vegetables outside the front counter at Dunbar Police Station. <laughs> happy days, I tell you, Paul, happy days. <laughs> so um, I said, I'd like to go back there. So he said, OK, we'll arrange that. So we'll get you over here for a couple of months. And he said, I've got somebody at Braintree I'd, I'd like to get shifted, so we'll do a swap. Eventually, after a, a few um, phone calls, I got a permanent move to Dunmo and um, loved it, loved it. I worked with Beth Fenning and, you know, and, and, and a few other guys brilliant loved it absolutely loved it and um and eventually ended up at um interview uh, the interview development team um so at, in braintree with bev as a sergeant in. and so i had the last three or four years at braintree nick and um yeah different than the old nick paul oh yeah i think <laughs> that old nick i mean we used to have the, the bar in the old yeah. nick yeah. And uh, it's a block of flats now. Not nice flats, I would imagine. But yeah, I mean, what a laugh we used to have in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the new Nick. I say the new Nick. I mean, that must have been put there 95, something like that, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, something like that, yeah. 93, yeah. 94, 95. Because I got posted there just before the Rettendon murders. I could tell you a story about the Rettendon murders. Cool. You know the you know the film, obviously the Essex murders the Essex boys yeah there's a there's a clip on there I was on Chelsea traffic with Andy Butler and we had London weekend television video team a reporter and a cameraman with us for a few weeks and Charlie Chilvers um, had lent a tow rope to the uh, um, the um, murder investigation team down there on yeah the mobile unit and he was doing a stock take so we were in Chelsea traffic having a cup of tea and he said do us a favour, lads. So we had the TV crew. He said, can you nip down to the murder scene and pick up my, my tow rope? I said, yeah, sure, Charlie. So off we go. 
And um, so we're going down the, the bypass, the Great Gala bypass, we're going along, and we arrive there. And the world's media are all camped out, you know, at Sky, wherever, all the media. Yeah. And then a, a, a Southwood and Ferris inspector wanders up and he's going, he said, uh, I've got the press here wondering who these are in the back of your car. So like, the press, she said, oh, we're from London Weekend Television doing a documentary. This is going out in a couple of months' time. So it's not, you know, it won't be going out today. Okay, so that was fine. So we got the tow rope and sat there. And then he comes up again. He said, can you do us a favour? I said, yeah, what do you want? said, the low loader's coming out in a minute. Can you f- escort it to Southwood and Ferrers? I said, yeah, of course we can. So it's on the film. So as the low loader wow. comes out with the blue tarpaulin with a Range Rover on the back of the truck, you'll then see us in the traffic car following up behind it. So, <laughs> so and it was interesting because we didn't know the bodies were still in there. I was just about to say that. The bodies were, yeah. still, in the, the bodies were still in the Range Rover. They were still in there. So as we got to South Woodham, um, yeah, so we, we, they were reversing it in. And then the guy comes, he said, uh, so we were chatting away. He said, uh, thanks for that. He said, um, yeah, we needed you to come and help us because, again, he's told us that, yeah, for forensic reasons, the bodies are still in there. We went, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember so Dick, the four bodies were still in the, yeah. Dick Mason telling me that, um, that they were still in there. It's interesting because I've just done a TV uh, programme which will be aired later on this year. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories around the Rest of the Murders, mm. and there's a, a lot of unnecessary criticism of some senior investigating officers and the way that Essex Police dealt with those murders. Those murders were dealt with impeccably, and yeah. we did get the right people, absolutely yeah. 100% get the right people. And there are others that have just gone down this conspiracy theory that we didn't, and but... They they're not privy, and they've got the the ache about it. They're not privy to the information that we Essex Police yeah. were privy to, and the evidence that was unfolded, and how you know Ivan Dibley w- dealt with that properly. It was a great job and well well dealt with. So yeah, yeah. that that'll be coming out later in the year. I think that's going to oh, be well. aired on one of the the national TV show uh, channels. But so uh, no, that's that's really interesting. Did they show the footage? From London on London weekend. Yeah, yeah. No, no. That we went. Um, there was a because uh, there was just me and Andy Butler, and I think there was probably about another. Uh, I think Martin Ackers, and and there was a few others. We went down to see Penny Smith at London Weekend Television, and we had an evening out, and it was good. So they we they showed they, we were the first ones to see it. Oh, brilliant! But it was um, yeah, no, it was it was, and then because I, I, then I was filmed. Uh, I think it was Coppers. I think it was called, obviously, and. Um, me and Andy were in um, Parkway one night, and um, Mick West and a few other they were wrestling with this guy, or they were something. This it all kicked off, and I and I and I bundled in as I usually happen to do. I wouldn't do it now, mate. I just I'd walk away. But I bundled in, and next thing I know, I've got a, a camera light shining my face. Uh, so they were filming us dealing with this domestic type issue thing that you know that, that the, the Chelsea car had stopped and was trying to deal with. And next thing I've got a camera crew. Filming was. I thought, what the hell's going on here? Do you know? I tell this story about you. I got called to a burglary at a church in New London Road in Chelmsford, and right. I attended, and you attended with your dog. Yeah. And I'm at the I'm up the front by the I was on I was the night DC, and I'm up the front by the pew, and all of a sudden the door opens. It's that dog handler. Hey, it's me. It's me. And this 
stands still and the dog comes belting down and just stands and looks at me. I thought, oh, my God. You retire how long ago? Um, I retired in 2005. Wow. That's when I finished. I um, Yeah, and I think, I think unless, again, I have no issues with people who, you know, they and I this is the wrong word, but no, people who um, love being in the police family and everything else, that's great, and and, and move on. And they, do. I mean, I remember Johnny Rhymes, bless him, who finished mm. as like chief superintendent, and then he went head of personnel. So it was the same position, but in a civilian capacity. But I'd, I'd got to about ten years before I'd fin- I was thinking, what can I do? Not that I hated the job, I just wanted to do something different, you know. And I think when I look back, what I'd love to have done if I'd had the, the guidance from parents and I had, a, I think when you go, when you're at school, you remember certain teachers. And I remember a PE teacher, Mr. Jones, when I was at Southern Walden, he was walking around in, you know, sports gear with plimsolls on and playing, you know, and I thought, what a great job. Not that thinking that I have to go to Loughborough to get a degree and all that sort of stuff, but that's what I'd love to have done. I'd love to have been a PE teacher and do that but but I thought the next best thing was I, I left and I, I became a personal trainer went off to Cyprus for three months on a and I was 49 the youngest of 16 I was on the course the youngest was 18 I was 49 went to Paphos for three months got trained personal trainer sports massage and that had the time of my life mm. you know it was amazing and again I'm still in touch with people from there but um so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was my thing, you know. I thought this is it. This is um, the policeman's gone. I'm now sort of, you know, and um, I find now I've got more. Are you right when you said at the beginning? I do listen, Paul, to what you say. I I remember you saying there's only a handful of people that you have from the job. Seriously, there's only a handful. I've got more friends now outside the job, you know. Um, but there are only. I was talking about Pete Bryan and and a few other there's only a few that you'd say, yeah, I'd give them a phone call. I'm stuck on the motorway and they'd be there. Yeah. Um, and, as, and through my cadet days, and I, you know, like if, if bless them, if, if Noli and, and Wayne and, and Graham Carey and, 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 you know, and if they were still alive, they'd be the same, you know, and, uh, I've still got my mate Malcolm at Brusher, um, and Learmonth and they're still dearest friends and, 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 you know, great. They're still going. But um, over the years, you do lose these good, good people. Yeah, you do. But, yeah, no, I, I, I qualified personal trainer, did that for a few years, um, still had the sort of work ethic, still wanted to do something. Then um, I got into a franchise um, pet care business with my ex-wife. Um, it's called Barking Mad, so it's home-from-home home pet care, right. all for dogs. And that was great. We did that for four years, made, made, made good, sold it on a profit, um, you know, when you get to a franchise, you get to about the first four or five years, and you're thinking, can you carry this on for another four or five years? We got to the point where four years, because it was such hard work, you know, and, and building a business from scratch. That was in Norwich. Um, we did that, and um, and then I went totally different. Went back to um, sort of emergency services. I worked for um, East of England Ambulance Service for four years um, on patient transport. Right. So that was another eye opener because um, dealing with people seriously ill, picking up people from care homes and taking them back to the hospitals and, and stuff like that. So that was uh, a great, great times there. Um, worked alongside 
um, you know, the paramedics who you, I have huge respect for. Oh, yeah. Um, for what they do. And, um, but yeah, it's great. You know, I've worked in all sorts of weathers from the heat to the ice cold trying to, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how it, how it works. You know, we took a, like, a, she must have been in her 90s, this old lady, very frail, um, wore, you know, I think we put a space blanket on her because she had nothing. And we took her home in the, at nine o'clock at night in winter time, you know, and it was just, you're thinking, where's the, where's the care? Mm. Where was the care, you know? But you get told, you know, that they need a bed. She's she's well enough to go home. But um, no humanity. So, you know, not just we didn't just drop her off. You know, we t- put her in, put the kettle on, looked after her. You but, know. But this is another issue, isn't it? Because the public sector, the the public sector has grown in management, but not in worker ants. Workers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got a whole raft of people earning a lot of money. But we haven't got the infrastructure to deal with the problems. The paramedics are understaffed. Yeah. You can't and anybody who says that they're not is deluded. The fact yeah. that you could wait an hour to get an ambulance if you've had a heart attack, I mean, that is just unbelievable. And whoever's in charge is unforgivable. But it's all about cutting the cost. And I get it, yeah. they've got to be cost effective, but people are not going to work for nothing. The, no. co- the cost of living is such that people have to earn decent money in order just to tread water. Yeah. Now, the, you, you, you've probably seen as much as I have, you know, going to the, one of the ma- you know, major hospitals, whether it's you know, Broomfield or whatever, and you'll see the, the ambulances parked outside yeah. A&E. They're stacked up. And, and it's not the paramedics' fault because they're just responding. They've got people still on the on the wagons. They're waiting to go. And they'll be, there'll, there'll be people on gurneys in the corridor. My parents, when... My dad had his fall, and uh, they were. I had both my parents at North and Norwich on a gurney waiting to go in, and they were there, sat in the corridor for about three hours, and then eventually went in. And um, but it's not their fault. They they are they are just doing what they're doing. They're responding to a nine 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 call, and doing what they are paid to do, and what they are supposed to do is, is protect and save lives. That's what they're doing. They're trying to save lives, and so it's the it's what's it's the and the A and E, you know, if time's been an A and E, we've got one of the best A and E departments in the world. They do a brilliant job. Yeah, you know, in the circumstances, they do an amazing job. But it's then when it goes in to the to the wards. I mean, I picked up a patient with my mate when we were on patient transport, and there was a, an auxiliary. There was no nurses, an auxiliary who had no qualification to do a pat slide, which is take a patient out of a bed on a board. No, I think she was covering three wards. She was covering three wards. And, um, right, yeah, we were covering three wards. And, and I said, can you give us a help and a hand? And she said, I can't because I'm not qualified, but I've, I'm just here to cover for nurses who were either doing something more important or whatever. But, yeah, so. It's bonkers. It's <laughs> it is absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah. When you, I'm going to take you back a little bit because if we go back to your traffic days, you worked with some interesting characters on there, certainly at Harlow Traffic. Um, were you there when the M11 first opened? Yeah, I was actually, I was actually at Stansted Village, the morning of the opening of the M11 North from Junction Eight to Nine. But I was, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, because I went, I went to, I was at Stansted seventy nine to eighty, 
so so when the motorway opened up, yeah, I was I was so I went to Harlow traffic, and the motorway had only recently been opened. Mm. But I was walking, was walking down on early turn, and the Cambridge Road through Stansted before the motorway was just crazy. The, the yeah. volume of traffic coming through there was unbelievable. Heavy lorries, you name it, and um, so. I woke up, we're going down on an early turn, getting in for six o'clock, and I thought I could hear the birds singing, and I thought, what on earth is going on? There must be an accident somewhere, there must be. So I phoned up information, and they, I said, um, is there something going on that I should know coming through Stansted? They said, no, 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 the, um, the M11's just been opened. I went, oh, well, that explains it then, because mm. everything, <laughs> everything was going up Bishop Stortford in that way, north. So, But that was, yeah. Um, but I remember what, obviously... On um, before that was open, just driving up there and the amount of equipment, the amount of you know spades and diggers and everything, they're just abandoned and they're just tarmac them over. You know, it's amazing the amount of gear that they would just leave because they they were on a time clock. They were had to move up, so if there was anything behind, it would just get get left pushed in. into tarmac, unreal, under concrete. Yeah. So uh, yeah, 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 I've had I've had some great times. You know, up and down the motorway. The first time. I realised I was, you know, wasn't had didn't have this. Um, I wasn't um, invincible because I was had a, had a uh, there was an accident on the B track because I always remember A track was away from London and B track was back to London. Yeah. So we were coming up the A track and the accident was up at Great Hallingbury on the B track. And so um, I got dropped off with a, a first aid kit and some combs. So I had to run across the three lanes onto the other. And so I was putting out. And eventually, um, my, my partner came along and he, and he shouted if I could hear him because it wasn't that noisy. And a car came bearing down on me, and I had to jump across the into the into the A track. Yeah, you soon learn. Sadly, we've had we, we, officers who got killed on the motorways oh, yeah. while I was there. So, but yeah, um, but you wouldn't recognise it. Obviously, the M11 now is well. They've got a new junction at, at, um, at Harlow. They've got a new seven ju- A, I think it's called, and is it? yeah, it's really junction comes into the back of um, Old Harlow. All right, yeah. it's really it's really good. It makes a hell of a difference. It, junction yeah. seven was just getting clogged up, and it it goes up. Um, yeah, it comes into the back of Old Harlow basically. Yeah. So which is yeah, no, it, it was it was they they said that um, obviously it was I was there before um, you know Junction four, the M twenty five Junction, and um, of course. There was this, there was this thing saying, well, why are they building a motorway to nowhere? Well, obviously, Stansted got developed and, and way up. So, um, and then, of course, the M25 happened. And, yeah, it was interesting. Interesting days because we you know, saw the building of it all, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was thinking because I remember it being opened, the first part, and we used to go and visit my nan who lived in Harlow. And it was a revelation. You could be in, you could be in London in 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, if you yeah. put your put your foot down, certainly with the amount of traffic, you'd be at Redbridge in fifteen to twenty yeah. minutes. In my days, Austin, Cambridge. <laughs> well, we used to sit on the pig perches coming up from from North Weald. So have you coming up from the junction from the motorway junction, the M25? And we used to sit on the police, you know, pictures yeah. there. We call them the pig perches. And um, I remember seeing this. So we were doing Vascar, and uh, and so we're sitting there, and I remember seeing and. We also used to call it at night time the white snake because there's the lights coming across the top. So uh, we sit there and then we go speed on. Speed. And I, I remember sitting this Porsche or well, his Lamborghini went past 140 something miles an hour. And 
off we went. And the idiot stopped further up the road. And he was test driving. This guy was test no. driving this car. And he said, he said, I don't know. I was just out for a test drive. And I was changing down from fourth to third or something. He was... I got him. We got him at 140 mile an hour. Well, needless to say, he got disqualified for quite a few years. Yeah. Do they still use that uh, car? I don't know that they do. Do they? I, I don't know what they use now. But no. yeah, we had. Um, yeah, we had all sorts of you know the early days of. We had a box in there. Was it called? I was going to say CFAX, but it wasn't. It was something like that. We had a box there. We had lots of dials of red green dials in the in the car, and then we are. Oh, so, because we, you know, instead of verbally booking on, we could then press buttons that yeah. the signal would go to headquarters and you know, save airtime. But yeah, there did you it. go. That so, was, um, I'm so I tell you what, when I first became fascinated by, I was a young cadet and I was on, went to Chelmsford traffic on attachment, and Jock Campbell was, um, ended up in the information as a civvy, but he was, I think he became a, a sergeant at some point, Jock Campbell. And um, the old um, Triumph, um, what were they called? It was one of the fast Triumphs. I was going to say the TR7, but it wasn't. It was, um, um, but I walked in, I sat in, and it was like getting into the Starship Enterprise, more the lights and the dials and everything else. And um, we used to patrol up and down the A12 at Margaret and all that. That was incredible. Brilliant. Incredible time. As a youngster, 16, 17 year old, sitting in this car. With, with with you know this PC that uh, and he was trying to show me and the speeds we used to go at and but of course in those days there was hardly any traffic, traffic on the road. No. nothing about but there's so, no there's no, there was no safety in the vehicles then either was there there was no airbags no. you know the the no, the no, no. vehicles now are designed to crumple whereas there they were rigid and they just you know the glass yeah. in, in the windscreen all of that it was yeah. it, it was designed to kill you yeah. There's a thought. Well, yeah, you know, fatal road collisions, people would survive a lot of those nowadays. No. I mean, we, we had, um, again, when we worked, when I was working Chelsea Traffic, come, come January the 1st, it was sad to think that we there would be like a, um, a league table, you know, who would get the first fatal on January the 1st. And not, nine times out of ten, it would be Chelsea Traffic. You know, we'd always get the, the first one in January. And um, and then the, the the numbers would go up and up and up and up. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. quite that's, that's quite that's, daunting, that's... isn't it? I mean, I remember my, the first fatal road collision I went to. Mark Pickett was um, was on traffic at Stanway then, and they attended because how it was at Halstead, and a guy had been he, he was in the middle of the road. He'd knelt up, and as he knelt up, a taxi came round the corner and just killed him. Yeah, and that's quite um, that's quite a sobering exercise. But I'm not saying you become blasé, but you become tuned into it, don't you? You become used to yeah. dealing with with death, and almost there is that gallows humour. I wonder if they still have that um, when they're dealing. I mean, it's they're tragic, absolutely tragic, but. It's part of it's part of police life, isn't it? You, you know, you join the police. If you go on, if you go on a murder squad, you, you can't go on a murder squad and complain that you're going to see a dead body. No, I and do I get it because we're all wired different. Yeah, but you have you you have um, you have to have you had to have some sort of release. Obviously, you didn't you didn't um, have that um, element of release where you know you'd make a, a joke about something or whatever. 
in front of you know family members no. of the deceased or anything like that. But in in the privacy of the department, where you know you'd sit there and you'd have a and you said earlier about you know about you know about counselling and stuff. Like, you know, it wasn't until wasn't until Bob Race dealt with a triple fatal at Rettendon or that way down that way. A, far, a husband or dad and two of his boys were going to South End and they got wiped out. And um, he went off on the sick because of something that happened in the parade room. He put out, and this was another thing, you were CID. You know, when we, when, when we asked for homes for years. Yeah. But we, we, but we were never given it. No. Because, because, you know, we just put it on paper. You know, we, if, if we'd had it at homes, then everything would be on disc and it'd be typed up by, yeah, know, do that. But we never had that. So everything that Bob was doing for that fatal, a serious triple fatal, um, was all laid out, ready for him to put it all together. And somebody walked into the parade room and threw his fluorescent coat over it and it all went wrong. I was there and it just, it, and Bob just went, he put pencils up his nose and wibbled and went out and was gone. And so it was thought about this, well, we need to have a debrief every time we go to a serious fatal, they're all serious, but every time we went to a fatal, yeah, yeah. we would have a chat afterwards. Yes, have some, you know, have some humour out of it, whatever it was, but at least, and then that incorporated the people that were, took the, phone, the, the original nine call. They should be involved. Yeah. Because yeah, that, some people taking a phone call, maybe, the, you know, they, they've heard that, you know, that perhaps the, somebody's phoned in and they're emotionally distressed because of what they've seen. So that would then transfer all the way along the phone line to that person who's taken that call. And so that would be, they'd be affected. I know, it, you know, you, you look at it thinking, I was, I was very lucky, and I'm sure you were as well, in the fact that I used to be able to put things in boxes, you know, I used to put things away. Um, I've been, as a young probation, I've been to a few murder scenes and, you know, not, not just the things that have happened, but immediately after where yeah. the murder has gone. And I've been there, and I've done, and uh, you just think you just have to get on with your job. And I, I know some people find that, you know, not easy to do. But if you think of the longevity of your job, you're thinking, oh, I've got to get through this. But it doesn't you know, stop me remembering. It doesn't no, no. stop me thinking, you know, because I can I can talk you through, and I've said this before in podcasts. I could talk you through every single post mortem I've been to. Yeah. Were you at Harlow with Daphne Hager and Peter Waller and people like that? Yeah, Daphne Hager, yeah. 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 I yeah. was on the, Yeah, I was on, I was on that night that she eventually got caught drink driving. Really? Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Silly I think woman. it was I think it was Mick Smith who was the who was the uh, Harlow traffic inspector pulled over in uh, Southern Way, I think. But yeah, she'd been up in Harlow. I don't this is I mean, sadly, bless her, she's gone, isn't she? Yes, she's, yes. She's passed away. But um, yeah, no, she was up in the bar and she was, yeah, doing lots of drink. And they and, and you think to yourself today, you're thinking maybe they should have stopped her from going, getting in a car. Well, yeah, maybe they should have done. I mean, I, I, you can see why the bars went, but yeah, maybe they should have. And I mean, she she had a very um, colourful career, didn't she? But she was very competent when she when she yeah. when she hadn't had a, and she had a drink problem, which would be yeah. recognised now. And would be dealt with, and there would be, you know, support around it. Then um, she was just seen as a nuisance, and like you say, she ended up getting lifted, and yeah, 
She was busted, wasn't she? She went from sergeant to, to PC. Yeah, she was yeah. a PC on my shift yeah. at Braintree when I went there. Yeah. And then yeah. You, had, you had Pete Waller, who was over at Harlow and all, yeah. the, all the stuff around him. So the, what... Because um, when you said about the police bars, I, I, I can see that, but I can also see they were a good oh, brilliant. thing. You know, um, but I mean, the night that... Um, the night of uh, the hostage where Charlie and um, John Lane got held hostage. Um, we were just finished. Charlie Clark was acting inspector, so he was on a half night. And uh, we were on a late turn. So um, a few of us went up to the bar at 10 o'clock. Uh, and we had a, we were playing darts or whatever and having a beer or two. And um, Trevor Davis came in. He was on the night shift sergeant. He came in and he said, close the curtains and uh, turn the lights off. Um, Charlie's been held hostage outside by... In fact, they've taken away the phone booths now by the t public toilets. They've gone. And he said he's been held hostage. So we, we raised the glass. And went, yeah, yeah, what's the next joke? No, he said, seriously. I looked out the window, and there he was. The gun was pointed at Charlie's head. Yeah. And so that was... Uh, we were back on shift right through to 6 in the morning. Wow. Oh, that's another story for another day. We're now in sunny Spain. Yeah, we've you, been here since well six years today. Um, we had, uh, we, as I said, we had a couple of years in Turkey, which which was great experience. Um, absolutely, we loved it there. But we had to come back for family, my family issues. Yeah. But um, no, I got um, yeah, no, I've I've, um, I've got a, uh, I started a group of what happened was when we got here, um, I was I, I went out for a run and uh, and I, I was thinking about. Um, I wonder whether there's anybody else that runs, does anything here. So I put out something on, you know, on Facebook. Sometimes it has a good thing, sometimes yep. another good thing. So I put it up there and I got a couple of replies. And I said, because um, I came down onto our um, our beachfront, our player, and um, they've got a nice little paseo, which is a footpath which goes along. And it's and it's measured, and I had no idea who in the, in the local authority here measured it, but it measures from one end to the other, 2.5 kilometres. So you've got a, a natural 5K run. So I thought, well, that's ideal. And it's in a perfect love, you know. So to the right of us, we've got the beach and the sea and everything else. And to the left, we've got all the hotels and the bars and the restaurants. So, um, yeah, I just – and there are a few people that answered, and we had a little chat. And so we decided I'd based it on the park run. So it's free to all, um, a Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. Well, we can't do it nine o'clock at this time of year because it's too hot. So we we come back a couple of hours, seven and eight o'clock. But it and eventually went to a Wednesday morning. So I've had a run this morning. Um, so I run on Saturday, but then we developed from that to cycling. So we now have a cycling group. We have a swimming group. Basically, we're a triathlon group in in, in not a name, but we do you know we do the whole thing. And then there's other social things we do. And it's grown to, um, well, as my wife said, as Leslie said, you know, I've created a monster here because there's thousands of thousands of people, you know, thousands of people follow us now, you know, follow, and they and we have we have tourists, we have people come in and they'll come down and run really, and, so it's good, you know, fantastic, keeps me, keeps me busy, fantastic, and because you've done your your triathlons, haven't you? You've done when we, yeah. where was your first triathlon? Oh. I think, if I remember rightly, um, as I say, Pete and I, um, when we used to live just neighbours together in Chelmer Village, and um, we were both 
overweight and uh, we got chatting and he said, well, do we know, start, start running. So it was a, we worked out that Chelmer village from where we met, it was like a three mile loop. So basically, uh, yeah, 5k. So it was a three mile loop. So we, and so we'd run to one lamppost and breathe it in and go, oh, so eventually we'd run around and then we'd, then we had the beauty the, 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 um, of having a traffic car each. So we'd go and map out a five-miler route and a 10-miler route and so on. So we'd do that. And eventually, um, a friend of ours grew up at the headquarters gym. I don't know if it's still there, um, in the weight room there. And she came in and uh, she said, um, Epping Tri-Sport, which is one of the local triathlon clubs here, uh, in, in near Ongo, that way. So it was a Essex thing. So she said, they're doing a tri-tri. And then both Pete and I went, what is a triathlon? We didn't have a clue. Mm. So she told us. So that was our first one, was with Epping Tri-Sport at Onga Sports Leisure Centre. And it was a sprint. So it was a 400-meter swim in the pool, a 22K bike, followed by a 5K run. Oh, okay. So, so that's that's how we started. And, um, and then, yeah, we got the bug from there. We did... Um, Police championships. We didn't, you know, we went to Guernsey a few times. Went up to, um, all over the place. And then, um, then we did local events. In fact, Mark Harmon, Pete, and I formed, which is now, is developed into the um, Born to Try, which is an Essex yes club. So Pete and I and, and Mark Harmon started uh, the Braintree Triathlon. We did that for about four years. You know where the old swimming pool is? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all block of flats now and whatever. So the, we had to use the swimming pool. So we did a, a try there for about four years. Right. Uh, um, so uh, and we had the beauty of being able to um, get for, help with the road, is, you know, with stopping cars. We had we had access to special constables used to come out. It was great. And um, so Mark's now, I think Mark Harmon's up in Norfolk somewhere. I say Pete's in Chelmsford. Um, and I'm here. But we, you know, we had a good relationship for a number of years. And um, but uh, we then moved on. Um, Pete went down uh, uh, the educational route. He's a very highly qualified triathlon coach, and he's done a triathlon, an Ironman triathlon, on every continent. Wow! Um, so he's done, you know, he's done extremely well. Um, and, it, and then then it got to a point where I've done Olympic triathlon. So that was a fifteen hundred meter swim, forty k bike, and a ten k run. Um, and then eventually the guys I got to know through that moved on to the Ironman distance, which is 3.8 kilometers swim, um, 112 miles on a bike. So, yeah, 186 kilometers and then a marathon. Wow. So, again, it's a, a long distance. So, I felt out of it. So, I thought, I've been going to, I've been going to Lanzarote with some friends for years. And so, I thought, you know, I thought, I've got to do one, got to try a, a, an Ironman distance. So I chose Lanzarote. When I told Pete and a few others, they went, are you mad? Because that's one of the, it's equivalent because it's on a very windy, very hot island, as you know, in the, in the Canaries. And um, it's a very tough course. So in 2012, um, I, I, yeah, completed the Lanzarote Ironman. And, um, but it was funny because Leslie was, we hadn't been together very long. And uh, she came out and supported. So it started at seven in the morning and finished at midnight. So, uh, and you'll know this because you're a football fan, or West Ham anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Chelsea were playing in the 2012 Champions League final. Right. 
against Bayern Munich. Yeah. And so, but I obviously I didn't know that until I was on. I got the date was there, so I was then aware of it, but didn't really give it much thought until I was on the run section, so running up and down Porta del Carmen, and as I was passing the bars, the game was on. So <laughs> Leslie, bless her, she she got she, she always tells me off because she was waiting at the finish. And so I had 17 hours to complete it. I wasn't going for a time. I just wanted to finish it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going along. And so I stopped at one of the bars and watched part of the game. And then it's got to penalties. And then when I saw Drogba score the winning goal, I thought, right, I've got a marathon to finish here. So off I went. And I got in. I think I did it in 16 hours and 40 minutes. How funny is that? So, so I, I was a winner all the time. So I won, we won the Champions League and I did the Ironman. So I was more than happy. That was my, that was my, um, yeah, that was a great day for me. But um, yeah, bless her. She, uh, when I told her, she just flipped, which is understandable. Oh yeah. And so, so, but it was, um, that was a great day. But yeah, so um, I've done, I've done a couple of others since, and I've done some plenty of halves. So I'm doing another one in October, going to Barcelona in October in three weeks' time, and um, yeah, just doing it all again. So. Um, I think you know, just it's just to keep uh, keep going. I mean, like, yeah, as you get older, Paul, you know, um, injuries come along, and uh, so why Spain? Why why did we move to Spain? Well, because I, I think it's we were having this discussion last night, and I think in somebody else asked me that last a friend asked me last night, and I think it's due to um, my upbringing. You know, I was in Cyprus and Malta in the early days, and so I always think it that as a as a a young person, you get imprinted, don't you? I think yeah. it's like with animals, you know, uh, you get imprinted, and and the Mediterranean climate is is good for me. You know, I feel good, um, and I always felt that um, um, when I was working, if I could get away for a couple of months in the winter time, get some sunshine, I felt a lot better. Because I think we all have to admit sometimes that we get this SAD, we get this sad syndrome, yeah. Yeah. and so. Um, yeah, uh, there's, it, it, it's it's a nice, but I have to, uh, to be honest. I've I've, I've realised this last this last summer that um, I said to you at the very beginning. I used to be able to sit out in the sunshine and 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 you know, but I get and I keep a nice colour all year round. I feel good, but I can't sit in it anymore. And I can't uh, you know, I have a I sit on a sunbed and have a cover over it and, and and get in the shade. But um, yeah, I used to be able to just sit there and you know and soak it all up, but. I, can't do that and it's and, and this year has been the humidity has been really bad and i suppose as i'm getting older and so we you know we tend to um during the hot periods of time we tend to stay indoors or stay somewhere cool um you know and uh, we did that we went up to galicia last couple of years ago just to get away from the heat and um which was great you know it was lovely and we went up to went up to santiago and um i think by the day we left there it was raining and 12 degrees and the time we'd driven back, which was about ten hour drive, and I did it all in one. We stopped a couple of times on the way back. The temperature gauge went from twelve degrees to thirty six. Time we got back at ten o'clock at night. Wow! So that was the difference. So uh, no, I, 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 we both we both love living here in Spain. Um, for how long? For who knows, but we are you know we are enjoying it at the time. So and um, we've made some good friends here, and um, yeah, we've got a lovely apartment. Uh, with a sea view, and it's you know it's all very nice. What but, do you miss? You know, we just sorry, go on, Paul. What do you miss? What do I miss? Yeah, about the UK. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, again, like my wife, Leslie, she, she, you know, she misses her friends, and you know, I think we've got really close friends in the UK. I'm there, you know, I, I, I've got some close friends there. I suppose friends um, don't have a great relationship with um, my daughters, but um, yeah, thinking, I don't miss. I certainly don't miss the M25 or the or the lots of that, and I don't miss. I don't miss a great deal, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, um, that's a good question. There's a lot of things I do like about Spain or mm. living in a Mediterranean climate. And, um, but uh, I wouldn't say that uh, I enjoy too much of the UK, but I get the fact as I'm getting older that maybe there'll be a time to head back. What, what was the impact like for you? You'd only been there a couple of years when COVID kicked in and the Spanish yeah. were very strong on the, the rules and regulations. What was that they like? Were. What was that like for you? That was tough. We, um, we, um, they, they basically um, put loads and loads of guardia, loads of military, all around. You couldn't, you couldn't move. Every junction, there'll be military guardia, police guardia, traffic, and um, and they'd be coming around the, all the urbanisations and that, and they'd go, um, you know, if you if you were if you're out, you'd have to have a reason why you're out. Um, we ended up, you know, they eventually relaxed the fact that you could go shopping, but only one of you could go shopping. Um, if you then had a dog to walk, you could only walk it a certain distance away from your house. And if you didn't, if you if you didn't um, comply with that, you got a heavy fine. They mm. were really strict, and um, and they are very strict. And that you don't argue with the guardian out here. You know, they they um, they will fine you. Um, and they and again I, I got I got stopped for speeding a couple of years ago uh, here, and um, a, as you come up the road it, the road itself is is a straight road, it's it's not in, it's not in a built up area, so but there's signposts I think it went like from 90k, 80k and then a very quick 60k so you have to be you know you be on the brakes bring that so I went through and I got stopped. Again, I didn't see the, the traffic policeman, didn't see him at all. Got pulled over thinking, oh, he's just doing a document check. His English was very good. He came over to me and um, and he said, uh, your speed was shown as 86 funding or in a 60. And I went, seriously? Are you sure? He said, yes. And I, So he said, and then he came up with this thing, you know, um, speed costs lives, which is what we all used to you know that was our yeah. thing. You know, so I got. I thought, well, I get it, but thinking that's just harsh in respect of yeah, it's where it was done, where it was done, and how it was done. But yeah, there's a lot of things out here that they, you know they've got they they have to they go right they have a purge so they they make a bit of money and that sort of thing for the so they do that. But I think we all used to do that. We used to issue fixed penalty tickets on nights in Harlow, so that's a form of taxation, isn't it? Well, so, yeah. Parking on the offside at night without lights and things like lights, that. Yeah, so I used to get a ticket for that. So um, I didn't argue because I think, you, you know, it was a €100 Euro fine. Um, as long as you paid it within a certain day, they cut it in half. So I went straight to the bank, €50. Euros, and you don't get you don't get points. Um, you get I think you get allocate or you give 12 points or you get 12 points and they, and they just come off. So eventually, so I've been, I think I've had, Two speeds, but I haven't had. You know, so I don't know how long. They don't tell you, send you a form or anything. And say, but it's a strange. When people talk about 
oh, these, this, this that happens here and this happens there. Um, we've been here long enough now to realise um, that the, the answer to everybody is, well, this is Spain. Spain do different to everywhere else. It's a, it's a, it's a different culture, totally different. And if you accept that, then you just get on with your life yeah. and it's fine. And and how did Brexit impact on you? I mean, I would I would love to live in France, but ninety days wouldn't be long enough, and I'd have to keep coming backwards and forwards to the UK. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people. That, there's a lot of friends of ours who are subject to that, and they have to keep an eye on their spreadsheets and whatever. But um, now we we managed to get in before Brexit, um, so I was I was um, with my pension, um, which is tax free here, so they don't I don't get taxed on me police pension wow um so they accept that so that was fine um we bought a property here the, the the hoops that we had to go through are nothing compared to what people have to do now you can get different visas you can get you know but you have to earn a certain amount of money you have to have property of such value um yeah it is it's not easy for people to to get residency here it's doable if you've got the money so did but, your pension um, get indexed linked over there? You Yeah, yeah. No, I've just had my pension come through. So my, my pension goes into my Spanish account. And um so yeah, so I get uh, I get wherever wherever happens. And I've got I've got my old age pension now. Wow. Which is nice. So um yeah, no, it, it's fine. It, it, nothing I was I was say I spoke to had a conversation with Al White and he would uh, give me all the good sound advice and it it's fine. And so yeah, you could put it into a British account, but sometimes you've got to have, you've got to have a British address, which we have. But um, um, yeah, otherwise the banks will go, well, you know, you're living in Spain, and so yeah, we've got a British, we've got a Spanish bank account. Everything we do, we've got a Spanish driving license, so um, we've got a residency. Um, but th- you know, thankfully, my wife, she's she's very good at that. She we made a decision. She made so. We must do this, 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 and this, and we've got it all done. Um, because there are a lot of people here for many years who were under the radar. Mm. You know, Brits were living here, owning businesses for a long time, sort of, and then suddenly Brexit arrived and they were being checked. And if you didn't have the right documentation, you'd get deported. Yeah, they were living so, on a black economy, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a lot of people doing that, and there's a lot, and they were targeting. Um, British plates as well, so oh, British they? cars. So um, you know the, the Spanish go, the Spanish police are not stupid. No, you know, they, they they know they know who they're looking for. And so um, you have to. Uh, we've got a Spanish left-hand drive plated car, which we bought here. Um, we brought over a, a right-hand drive car, which we got matriculated. So we got it the lights changed and put a new number plate on. But it, we realised that a right-handed drive car really isn't good enough. So we needed a left-hand drive. The only the fun bit is coming back to the UK with a left-handed drive. That's mm. fun. Yeah. But there you go. That's a that's another story. So yeah, um, no, but life is good. It's good. So, um, but I said you know that the fact that I'm got coming up in three years got the big seven zero, and that to me I don't know about you, Paul, but um, when you were going through like your twenties and thirties and forties and fifties and then I hit the 60s. I'm thinking, yeah, wasn't too bad. And 67 now, and I thought, crikey, I've got a seven, 
70. Do I feel do I feel 70? Do I do I want to be 70? But you keep it's yourself coming. fit, and that's that's the difference. You, you you're giving yourself half a chance. Yeah. That that's that's the massive difference. And yeah. you know the fact that you've made it as you mentioned a few names earlier on, who haven't had that opportunity. When I went to the garden party recently, there was a hands up for there was a senior officer, whether he was a assistant chief counsellor, but he, you know he didn't look more than twelve years old. But he stood up and said, you know, who's who retired in the six seventies eight. There was a guy that retired in nineteen sixty nine. Wow. So he's doing well. Yeah. Because I remember Brian King when I was first went to Harlow. Brian King was, I think he he had a couple of years to reach thirty. So when you go back to when I was there in seventy five, so he was there thirty years. So he was there forty end of the war. Yeah. Before we go, I'm going to ask you the question: Is there anything you'd like to add or alter or correct in relation to the statement that you've made today? <laughs> that sounds very formal. No, I've. I've um, I've enjoyed our chat, Paul. It's been really good. Good. I didn't know what to expect. I've say I've seen a couple of your other podcasts, and I'm thinking I haven't got a book to sell, or I haven't got this. And I, but I'm thinking when when you eventually sort of like sort of mix it up a bit and work out what we've been talking about, and I think um, I look back and thinking, yeah, I've you know I've had, I had a good 32 years from from a cadet right through to that. I've got through it. Um, and I've moved on, and as I said, I've known more people outside the job, and 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 I just try to do something every day that I can do, and um, yeah, no, it's been it's been really good talking to you, Paul. Yeah, really good. Likewise, and, uh, mate. and I just it. want to say it's a good. It, what you're doing is great, um, and I say long may it continue. Thank and, you. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll catch up and have a beer when. I'm next over in the UK. Thanks so much, Kev, for your time today, mate. I've really enjoyed it, and I will speak to you soon. Okay, Paul.